This is Erica Henry, and you're listening to the Holy District Podcast. privilege of wrapping up our What is the Church series. I hope you have enjoyed yourself and the opportunity to listen in to several of our pastors here in the Holy District Network. Today, I'm going to top everything off by talking about how the church is dynamic. When you hear the word dynamic, you probably have in your mind the ideas of moving and changing and power. We'll talk about all three of those things today as we look at the birth and the expansion of the church and finally end with a bit of a practical reflection on how the Holy District is attempting to be a part of this mysterious, dynamic thing we call the church. Let's jump in. you all didn't think that we would have a whole series about the church and not talk about its birthday. I mean, we definitely have to talk about Acts chapter 2. This is more commonly known as the day of Pentecost. This is the day that the Spirit whom Jesus promised would come to his followers falls on all of the disciples who were waiting in the upper room according to Jesus' instruction. And all of these people are filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And so all of the different folks, Jewish folks who were in Jerusalem for the festival week, spoke different languages, were from different contexts, heard the proclamation of the good news of Jesus and the kingdom of God in their own native tongue. And they were amazed. And this is the um, inciting incident that starts the church because Peter stands up in the midst of all of the perplexity and the confusion and the amazement and explains to everyone what is happening by referring to a prophecy from the prophet Joel. And so he quotes Joel, and I'm reading to you from Acts 2, 17 through 21. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so Peter, upon seeing what the Spirit has done, says, okay, y'all, it's, it's finally happening. This thing that Joel said was going to happen. We're experiencing this now. And so on this in this birth moment of the church, as we look back at the beginning of the church, this experience is what catalyzes this new kingdom community of Jesus followers into a shared vision of living out the Sermon on the Mount 
and bringing the good news of Jesus to those all around them. When you go down to verse 42 in Acts chapter 2, those who responded to the first um, proclamation of Peter after the falling of the Spirit, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What I love about starting here when we're talking about what is the church as we're ending our our series is that we see really what the most uh, radical expression of the church was in that first initial response to the falling of the Holy Spirit and being sent by Jesus into their context. You see this incredible diversity, even just within the Jewish context where the church was born. You have different class represented. You have different gender represented. You have different ages represented. You have different language represented. And the Spirit falls on all of these people. And their immediate impulse was to to come together, share food, pray, devote themselves to teaching and community, and to do whatever they needed to, uh, to pool their resources in order to make sure that anyone had need was cared for. And this has been an inspiring vision of the church for me ever since I first read it when I was probably a preteen. Is it really possible to be the church in this way? But I think the interesting thing and an important thing that we need need to know, especially for the purpose of this episode, where we're talking about the church being dynamic, is that the church didn't just stay like this. It only takes about six-ish, seven-ish chapters before we see our next iteration of the church emerging with Peter's experience with Cornelius and then Saul's conversion to Paul and his call did not mean to rhyme all of that, but here we are and his call to the nations. And so what began with this beautiful expression of diverse unity on the day of Pentecost, where Jewish people from different contexts across class and gender and language are unified through the power of the Holy Spirit and moved into mutual service and community with one another is now changing already as Peter and Paul are catalyzed into an awareness that This good news of the kingdom of God is not only for the Jewish people, but as the scriptures have always foretold, is about moving through the Jewish people in order to restore all the nations back into relationship with one another and with God. And so we have some beautiful stories and, you know, Acts 9, 10 and 11, where we see God kind of setting this row of dominoes into motion in order for that to happen. What's so exciting about this movement, this change already in the early church, is that the diversity continues to expand. Not only are we diverse in class and gender and age and and language, 
Now, as the good news of King Jesus spreads to the nations, to the Gentiles, those two words are interchangeable in the New Testament. As the good news of King Jesus spreads to the nations, we now have different cultures and customs. Um, I forgot to mention that there's already different status as far as slave and free, which is, you know, a big differential at this point in history. And we even have the diversity of religious practice. So we've now expanded this idea from Jesus, the Messiah, and his group of disciples with a symbolic 12 representing the tribe of Israel, but an obviously larger gathering of men and women who followed him and who were awaiting his, um, the gift of the Holy Spirit in the upper room, are first sent out into their surrounding community. And Ellen shared with us about sentness last week. And as they are sent the mission expands and the diversity expands beyond even what they were expecting to now include Gentiles who were not circumcised, who did not follow kosher law, who did not have the same cultural uh, background and heritage as the Jewish people who were following the way, who were following King Jesus. And so this presents a major conflict which actually becomes, I, I think I can say this, the backdrop of almost every letter or epistle in the New Testament that Paul is writing is dealing with in some way with the kinds of challenges and concerns and difficulties that arise with this diversity that is ever expanding in God's mission to reconcile all things, whether in heaven on, or, or on earth, back to God's self through the person of Jesus Christ. This is a big deal. This is the reason why a lot of scholars and theologians speak of the day of Pentecost as the reversal of Babel. If you are a Bible nerd, you will be familiar with the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis. After humankind is created and blessed by God to multiply and subdue and fill the entire earth, we very quickly come upon a story of a group of humans who decide that they would rather stay put in one place and build a tower that reaches the heavenlies and make a name for themselves to make their name great. And so while God's impulse and God's blessing has always been to send humankind out into the world in order to lovingly steward and co-rule and fill the earth with God's loving rule, we, we see very quickly the human impulse, the rebellious human impulse to rally our efforts around a single culture, cause, and idea, and to build empires, to create security for ourselves by solidifying a central power and then throwing all of our resources at maintaining that, to make one culture name great. This is the activity that God decides that he will not allow to continue. And at this point in the biblical story, God confuses the language of this group of people that are building the Tower of Babel so that they cannot understand one another. And in this way, they are spread throughout the earth into different groups of folks. So when we fast forward to the birthday of the church and we see the Holy Spirit coming down, falling down on this group of people, and uniting them so that they are able to hear 
the good news of King Jesus, but not by making them all the same, but by enabling them through the power of the Spirit to speak in a way that reaches and can be understood by every kind of person that is present. This is the reversal of the Tower of Babel. Now we have the church and the power of the Spirit representing the force that is able to bring people who have been separated by our difference back together in worship and followership of Messiah, of King Jesus. And I don't think that God does this in this way so that the church could then form a new Tower of Babel that's just around one particular cultural interpretation of what it means to follow Jesus. Instead, I think this is the pattern that we receive that now as the kingdom continues to unfold through the sentness of this group of believers who are submitted to the lordship of Christ and walking in the ways of Christ, that the kingdom would continue to increase in diversity. I think that's a good indicator of when the kingdom is unfolding, is that the more different kinds of people that you see being brought together in love and service of one another and care for one another, the more likely that the Holy Spirit is at work in their midst unveiling the kingdom of God in their context and community. And this, once again, is very difficult. This is why the majority of the New Testament, after demonstrating and proclaiming the kingdom of God and the good news of the person Jesus, then shows us several case studies of how different churches are trying to work this out. It started with the council in Jerusalem after Peter has an experience with Cornelius and his family And they discern through their experience and their communal Bible study together that the Holy Spirit does not require that those who are part of the nations, the Gentiles who are receiving the the power of the Holy Spirit and being baptized, they need not practice the same cultural traditions as Jewish people like circumcision and observing kosher laws. That is just the very beginning of the changes and the adjustments that those who follow Jesus, who are Jewish to begin with, are called to make through the teaching of the apostles in order to be a part of this ever-expanding, beautiful, mystery, diverse body that Christ is building for himself to be good news on earth as it is in heaven. So the rules and the culture and the traditions that these folks brought with them and that Jesus himself participated in, that they had Bible verses to back and name why they did it this way, those were all placed at the feet of Jesus so that we could reimagine what this kingdom of God looks like in its mysterious, diverse unity. So this is why we see Paul harping over and over again on unity, 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 unity. But how do we actually achieve this unity? You know, we've been talking about how the church has has been moving and changing even within just the first couple days or decades of his existence after Jesus was resurrected and ascended. But we're looking from a vantage point of literally a couple (laughs) thousand years since all this stuff was going down. So this is where I would like to shift our attention to a very particular case study in the book of Romans. We're going to be looking at Romans 15 to get some insight into how I think Paul understood his role 
and guiding this new burgeoning network of churches across the Roman Empire to follow Jesus and to participate in this dynamic, diverse unity, and how the Holy District is attempting to take notes from this community in order to live and step with the Spirit. So let's do that as we head toward the end of this episode. So in chapters 14 and 15 in the book of Romans, we see Paul sharing some insight into how the Christians in the church of Rome should be treating one another in the midst of differing opinions about what to eat and what holy days to observe and different things that amount to cultural and religious traditions. Now, an interesting thing about this setting that you may not be aware of is that while this was a multi-ethnic community of Gentile and Jewish followers of Jesus, for a time period, the Jewish folks in Rome were exiled, leaving the Gentile uh, Roman Christians in place during this time period. The book of Romans is written in response to the way that the Gentile Christians received the Jewish Christians back into their fellowship. We can tell by the beginning and the end of the letter that there was dissension around the different cultural and religious preferences that were represented within this group. This is the passage where we learn that concept of those who are weak in faith and those who are strong in faith. And Paul encourages those who are strong in faith not to put a stumbling block in front of their weak brothers and sisters. But I think there's a more helpful way to translate those words weak and strong. And I learned this from a Bible Project episode called the, oh, what was it called? The Powerful and Not Powerful. And I'll link that episode for you in this week's episode notes. The Powerful and the Not Powerful. When you actually look at the Greek, when the word that is used and often translated as weak is, is there, Really, what that word represents or means is those who are without power. So this is a word that's used all throughout the New Testament to describe people who are needy or poor or in an honor-shame society are in a marginalized class. Then whenever we look at the word that is strong, that is the word that has at its root dunamis, which is where we get our word dynamic. And that word means powerful. So when Paul is talking to his fellow Christians in the church in Rome in this letter, he's not talking to them about people who are weak and strong, as in people who are kind of like uh, more mature in their faith and people who are less mature in their faith. Instead, what he's helping them to see is the difference between the marginalized Jewish folks who are returning back from exile into a very difficult situation who, because of their cultural and traditions and their heritage, prefer to continue following kosher, to continue keeping the Jewish holy days, while the the Gentile Christians don't seem to have that preference. And there's probably some Gentile Christians who did have that preference, and there were probably some Jewish uh, followers of Jesus who didn't. And this is why Paul refers to them not by their ethnicity, but by these two categories— by those who are not powerful and those who are powerful. And so with that in mind, I just want to read just a few verses from Romans 15 and maybe in 14 a little bit as well, just to highlight 
the the way that Paul is encouraging the church in Rome to handle this difficulty. They have diversity within their congregations that is leading to some challenge and some conflict. What is the right way to go about this? What does it look like to follow Jesus into reconciliation? Here's what Paul says in 15 verse 1. We who are strong or we who have power ought to put up with the failings of those who do not have power and not please ourselves. Or we who are strong ought to lift up those who do not have power and not please ourselves. Verse 2, each of us must please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up the neighbor. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Isn't that so beautiful? I think the pattern that Paul is trying to model for us and show us is that when we look at the challenge of being this mysterious, diverse, unified body of Christ that is moving and changing and experiencing the unfolding beauty of God's kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven, that it is the responsibility of those who have power or privilege in a given culture to lay that power and privilege down in order to serve and be unified with those who do not have power and privilege within that culture. Rather than being Tower of Babel kind of people that say, this is the one thing that we're doing, this is how we're going to do it, if you don't speak this way, if you don't act this way, if you're not on board, then you're not a part. What we are saying is we follow Jesus who did not consider himself so great, but lowered himself to be a servant to all. We follow the, the person of Jesus who says that the, the least are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and that the greatest are the least. And so we look at our communities And we ask ourselves, not what is going to help us to be the most effective or help us to grow the most quickly or help us to seem or help us to build and establish our power and our influence in this community. Instead, we look to the people in our community whom God has brought to whom God has brought to love. And we ask ourselves who in our community is experiencing the least amount of power and influence, who in our community has the the least amount of ability to change their status? And what kinds of things can we do to come alongside and support them? How do I set aside my preferences? How do I set aside my comfort? How do I set aside the way that I'm used to doing things in order to make sure that this brother or this sister or these folks are experiencing the welcome of God, which I have so graciously received? And then if we take it up to more of a systems level when I'm thinking about the Holy District and we're considering this question of does what we're doing at the Holy District really count as church? I want to say to you from the bottom of my heart 
what we're doing differently in the Holy District isn't about just being different for the sake of being different. It's about thinking about those folks in our communities who do not feel welcome in the church and prevailing model churches. There are people who do, and we bless them. But for us in the Holy District, we're thinking about those folks who aren't going to step foot in a typical church, who for whatever reason in their life experience have found that the church is not a kind or safe or welcoming space for them. The church has not been a place where they could belong and contribute and be a part. Those are the folks that we want to center in the way that we think about how we are a community together because we have centered Jesus and we see that his example is exactly that, that we look to those who are not looked for, that we think about those who are not considered, and that we privilege those who are not privileged in the way that we structure our communities so that everyone can live in harmony and everyone can experience the welcoming embrace of God. To wrap up, if you uh, look a little bit further down in the book of Romans and think Romans 16, Paul gives this long list of a bunch of people that he is saying should be greeted and kissed with a holy kiss. And that word, I think the word for greet is means like to enwrap in, a, in an embrace. And if you look at the names, there's a mixture of Greek names and Jewish names. And so he's wrapping up his letter with the very practical instruction of you guys that have been kind of at it and you all who have been demanding your own way and thinking about your comfort and thinking about what you prefer rather than having the mind of Christ, it's time to hug and it's time to kiss and it's time to serve one another. And those of you who have power and those of you who have influence, it's time to use that to come alongside and come under those in in your community who don't so that there will be harmony and so that there will be peace and so that you all can experience the love of God um, amidst your relationships with one another in the same way that you have received it from King Jesus. And I just got to tell you, that's what we're trying our best to do here in the Holy District Network, to organize ourselves not around a sermon or like a really exciting or dynamic preacher or person or really uh, flashy programs. We don't have the resources to do that. We wouldn't do that even if we did. But to organize ourselves around the people in our community who are left out and the least considered so that we can experience this beautiful, diverse unity, this beautiful community that the Holy Spirit is building to reverse the Tower of Babylon and to ignite and continue to catalyze the unfolding of a beautiful church that eventually will end with every tribe, every language, every nation worshiping Jesus. It's not a threat. It's a beautiful promise that we can be a part of now. So I want to wrap up by thanking you for being a part of this crazy experiment that we're doing. Thank you for being willing to try a different way of being the church with us. Thank you for participating and listening to our podcast. Thank you for moving and changing with us and for attending to power dynamics with us and and for being willing to 
try something that others may not see or validate as the church, but that I hope in your experience you feel in your heart the place where you have come to belong as an essential part of our body and as someone who is dearly loved by Jesus and by all of us here at the Holy District Network. And like Paul, I would love to leave you with this encouragement that your obedience is known to all and I rejoice over you and that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. The Holy District is a network of people who are dedicating their lives to grassroots, Jesus-centered community building. We're rediscovering the sacred in the everyday spaces where we already live, work, and play. We're so glad that you're a part of this. We'll talk to you next time.